we, we got to jump in here. We're keeping our, our series uh, as we started last week in the book of Exodus. Super excited about that. And uh, just by way of something we did last week, if uh, you're curious about the video that we showed, a couple people asked, that is the website where you can find a lot of book videos, theme videos, Bible um, theme videos. So that's the website. Some people asked, so I just figured I'd put it on the screen. You can go and find um, good content there. That's the video we showed last Sunday. Before I jump into the book of Exodus, I just wanted to mention one more thing because it kind of wowed me. Uh, We had Eric Duncan, who was a church planner in Madison about two weeks ago. We had him here two or three weeks ago to lead us in music and while the youth retreat was happening. And he just sent me this email, and I was just kind of taken back by it a little bit. So I wanted to share it with you. He said, Craig, wow, with the help of several smaller donors and one large donor, Two Lakes Church is fully funded for the next year. Real Hope responded to our request and contributed $6,000. Thank you for the opportunity to visit. Amazed at God's provision. I share that with you for this reason because I read it and it was super short and simple and I just went like, wow. Not that I didn't believe that this church is generous, but like that God moved in that way. And anybody that's a church planner, we have Luke visiting here today. Welcome back, Luke. Um, no, you don't have to clap for him. Don't clap for him. Um, that is, no, please don't clap for him. Anybody that's in church planning or mission work knows, like, that's a big deal to be able to have that weight. And so Eric emailed me, and I was just like, wow, our church is going to be blessed for being that generous. So keep being generous. All right. Praise God for that. So Exodus uh, 2 or chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump in there as a review from last week. And everything will hinge on these two points as we looked at last week. As you read Exodus, this will hinge on the fact that God is working a good plan built on his promises. And that plan rarely plays out like we think it's going to. So get into this book, feel the weight of what these people of God are experiencing, and know that God is a God of promise even in difficult times. He is the redemptive God that we know. And so I'm going to pick up in verse 8 through 22 where we left off through the rest of chapter 1. I'm going to read super fast and I will try to bring you along in that. Let's read it together. I'll read it. You don't have to read it with me. All right. It says this, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom name was Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son... You shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not, let, did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. 
So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? So they were disobedient to him. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave, thank, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. With that, I want to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive in here. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for its truth. Father, uh, thank you that we can come together and worship and, and sit under your word. And Father, even as I am praying, I am just thinking that we failed together to say what we say. And so I'll just pray that for us now that we thank you for your word, no matter how, how countercultural it might be or how painful it might be to our souls, that we would follow the King into eternity. And so Father, help us do that as we trust the Spirit, trust this community that you formed together, that you would transform our hearts towards you, and that we would apply these truths in our lives. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and all God's people said, amen. So the question, this is going to be an obvious answer, have you ever been in a situation in your life when it was difficult to trust God and see what in the world he was doing? Most of us live there all the time, and so even as I wrote that question down, like that's where we live now, Exodus 1, you start to feel the weightiness of that in their life. These people are living as slaves, and this passage really represents the weight and burden of an oppressive life for God's people. In many ways, it mimics the difficulty around the world in poverty and persecution and little opportunity. And we simply just don't understand that fully because we have so much in this country. So I'm not going to help try to like make us understand what these people were going through in slavery. We just don't know what that's like here. But what we can know is that this is a lot like life as a believer in this country that is becoming more corrupt and evil by the second and will continue down that path and how we ought to respond to that. Many of us feel lonely in this culture as we watch culture slip away and get more evil and away from God, if you will, and we just don't know how to respond in that. It's weighty. It's hard to live as a faithful Christ follower in our country, not economically per se, but certainly it's a tough and weighty problem. And there are more opportunities, I'll say this, more opportunities to add God into our lives, the temptation when we need him or we want to use him, than rather depend on him fully because that's all we have. And so there's the perspective. In America, Christianity, it's so easy to just like, take God for granted in our lives and let's depend on him when we need him because we simply have so much to choose from. People in this passage, people around the world, all they have is the gospel and Jesus Christ. And so they fully depend on him for everything. That is something that we should think about because they have nothing else. And so this text draws out a couple cultural issues that we'll briefly talk about. And then I have three main points that I, that I want to talk about as we move through. So jumping in on verse 8, we see that there is a new sheriff in town. 
If you read that, that, that after um, Joseph's life, there's a new king who did not know Joseph. This is important, and we can relate to this because remember, Joseph had favor from the old Pharaoh. And so Joseph was favored, and he rose to a place of power. And so we saw at the end of Genesis, things were really good, and now God's people are in slavery because there's a new guy over, and he doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't really care. Maybe you've had that in your life where you had an old job with, a, with an old boss, and he was great, and then you got this new guy, and things are just different. And so Joseph, like, that's not on the table anymore, all that favor, and he is an evil, evil pharaoh. He is evil. He doesn't want the children of Israel to multiply. And so in verse 9, it comes along and it says, he kind of puts forward this three-stage attack. He says, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. He was worried. He feared losing power. And so he burdens them. And then he seeks, this is the second phase of this plan unfold, is that he seeks to have them killed at birth. And then, because this isn't working, he, he seeks to kill all the male infants, and we're just going to get rid of them all together. Genocide is what that is. Operating out of fear, but the wrong kind of fear. It's selfish fear for his own power. And in verse 10, it says he doesn't want to lose that. He said, I'll deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, because if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. So he was worried. We have to take care of this right now, because if they multiply, they'll join our enemies and come back and destroy the nation of Egypt. And so he doesn't want to lose that power. You have to think of this text in the same way. These are the same kind of discussions Adolf Hitler was having in rooms in the 1930s and 40s. This is the evil genocide kind of mental mindset of an evil leader like this. And this is what he's doing in their culture. And so feel the weightiness of this kind of persecution on God's people. So in verse 11, it says that the Israelites are afflicted with heavy burdens. They were, had set taskmasters over them and afflicted them with heavy burdens. They had to build Pharaoh, and so they were slaves. They had all this pressure on them. I want to stop here. We don't think we know this relationship here because, not, again, we have a freedom in this country. That's where we started in our worship today. They're slaves, but I would argue this, as I want you to see this, I would argue our culture maybe knows this a little more, what it is to be burdened by the slaveship of sin in our culture, if you will. Think about it. Many are slaves to our economy in this country, to money, to status. Maybe you're a slave to status in that. Many are slaves to their kids in this country today what is happening in families. And, and we've talked about this idol worship of kids. My kid's the best athlete and the bumper stickers and you've seen them and, and they're going to the NFL, the NBA, the MLB. And we, many of us feel the weight of that as we think about, man, how many times have we become a slave to culture here, a loud culture burden? I feel the weight of that. Sometimes like keeping up with kids and sports activities and like looking around like, are we burdened by all of this stuff, a slave to this culture, pushing God out to the edges? Or are we building God's kingdom together, dreaming about that? Or are we building our own kingdom and dreaming about retirement and the American dream? And so I just offer you that, like we have a similar sense of burden in our life. 
2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 kind of spells this out a little bit in the last days. But understand this, as Paul was writing to Timothy, last days there will become times of difficulty, burden. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Let me read that one again. Kids, disobedient to their parents. Not you kids, but some kids. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is where the people of Exodus were at in true slavery, but this is where we're at in our culture. This is happening all around us. And verse 12, 14 kind of brings about this this first point that I want to touch on. It says that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter. And all their work that was made bitter, but look at what the people of God did in the middle of that oppression. They stronger, they grew stronger. In fact, the people of Egypt hated that. That's what those verses say. They hated watching that. They hated watching how they were growing. So they pushed against them in every way possible, bringing this first point to light. God uses the pressures of life to cause great growth in the lives of his people. You have to know that. If you answer that question that I asked at first, like, yeah, there's times in my life where I feel all this weight and pressure as a Christ. God is using that to grow you. God can use those things to grow you. So science question here. How are diamonds made? What are diamonds made from? What are diamonds made from? Coal, coal, coal. I thought you'd all say coal, and I was going to go, no. It's not. It's pressure. It's carbon. So carbon, there's these steps for diamonds to be made, right? You have to, there's these four steps that happen when diamonds are made. You have to have pressurized real deep in the earth's core, about 100 miles deep. Carbon has to develop, and it has to be under a lot of pressure. And then you need to apply heat. So about 2,200 degrees go like on top of this pressurized 725,000 pounds per square inch, in case you wanted to know. Pressure, and then 2,200 degrees of heat. And then the last thing is they have to rush to the surface quickly to cool. That's how we get diamonds, right? But you have to think about that process and think like, The intensity of all that has to happen in those moments, the equation is pretty tough to mimic. I would argue in the same way. It's why we read from 2 Corinthians earlier. The the way that God often works is to put so much pressure around you in your life, in suffering, in trial, in pain. So much stuff that all you're left with is depending on his grace and relying on it fully. And he does this beautiful thing when he grows us. Now, this pressure is all a result of sin and brokenness. But if you're feeling the weight of all those things and you're looking at friends that have cancer and they're walking through that and you're looking at friends who have economic struggle or you're struggling in that way and you're just wondering, God, why is this happening in my life? All this pressure around me. God is working that for good. You cannot mimic this way that he sanctifies us in this upside-down, counterintuitive illogical at times way to us. And he says, I want to do this thing for good. You're crushed, but not destroyed. You're persecuted, but not abandoned. You're struck down, but I still am with you in this. 
tough things happening in your life, the ones that you wish were gone from your life, I have a list too, or that you wish you were free from, God is doing something for his glory. And so don't forget that. So the people of God continue in Exodus, holding that promise we looked at last week. But it gets worse. As if you wouldn't think this story gets worse, it gets worse. Pharaoh wants to get rid of all the young boys. And it's ironic, and I want you to hold this piece of information. It's ironic here. Pharaoh is really ignorant because he wants to get rid of all the boys. But even at the end of our text, he leaves the daughters. That's a foolish mistake by Pharaoh. And it kind of leads towards our third point that we'll get to. But you'll see why God is working sovereignly in the background. Pharaoh wants to commit this genocide. The king of Egypt said in verse 15, to the Hebrew midwives, he meets these two, and they're mentioned by name, which is also important. When you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if you have, see a son, you have to kill him. But if you see a daughter, you let him live. So they, like, they say, like, wow, we can't like, do that, and they, they disobey him. Now, it's interesting, as we're introduced to these midwives, Pharaoh tells them to rid the babies in the birthing room. And I bring this up as a side note that we have to see as a sub-point, if you will. We have to stand against evil like that in our culture. Very much similar to what abortion is in this country. Now, in our country, we have ultrasound, and you can find things about babies, and, and you can find the sex of babies. So they didn't have that technology, obviously, then. But it's very similar to what's happening now in our country. And so to skip that and not mention that, I feel like that would be like a miss for us to not see the kind of evil here that believers have to stand against. Now you ask the question, how, do the church, how does the church really do that? Do we do that passively, aggressively? And that's always the question. Do we pick it? Do we stand in front of abortion clinics? Do we do that? How does that work itself out? And there's a big political issue around all that. I don't know all the answers to that, but I know that there are ways that we have to show that we're not in favor of that. Obviously, we do that through voting, through an election. Many are divided over how do we wrestle with that, but I have to tell us, as a people of God, we have to stand against that kind of evil. We have to be against that and pray for, for women. And, and even as Amy shared about orphans and foster, there are other things the church can do to step into, to get involved, to say, you know what? We'll take babies. We'll take children. Adoption is a church ministry that could grow, and I hope it grows here. And so I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but it's something that you can't miss. And you can't miss it in the text because the women, the midwives, they said, no, 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 no. That is pure evil. And they feared God, and they went against Pharaoh because they serve a different king first. And you have to catch this. They went against Pharaoh even under a massive amount of pressure even under a massive amount of, of, of what might come in him getting mad and killing them. Verse 18, 19 gives us more detail about that. So the king calls them and says to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptians. They make up this excuse. They basically lie. So they say, They're, they're not like us. They, they're vigorous. And they give birth, birth before the midwife comes to them. They feared God. Now, here's another instance when you go back in the scriptures. We're not going to hang out here. But like they lied for the good of these children. Much like at Holocaust when Germans, when Jews were hiding them from the Nazi Germans. And so I'm not saying we want to stop there and I want to make sure there's a bunch of kids in the room. It's okay to lie. But the intent of that 
lie that they formed was not evil in their hearts. It was because they feared God. And so that was their aim, which leads me to my second point. They fear God above all else. That is what we can know from this text as a people of God, that we need to demonstrate that same fear of God. What does that look like tangibly for us? Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14 kind of gives us a hint at that. Solomon, we talked about him in adult Sunday school this morning. He writes, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and upright, uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like the nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. But watch this. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making books that there is no end and much study is a weariness of flesh. The end of the matter. So the wisest man says, here's the end of it. Here's the aim of us. The end of the matter has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So the scriptures point us towards fearing God, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He says, the end of the deal, like if you want to know the secret of life, if you will, the end of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments. You can't miss that these women did this in this story. It's the whole duty. It's the whole aim. What does that look like for us practically? Fearing God, because what does that mean? Am I scared of God? No. Matthew 6, is a great New Testament verse, what it looks like to fear God. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When you and I do that, despite persecution, opposition, despite evil, when we seek first the kingdom of God, that is how you and I fear God. And we do that practically in a bunch of ways in our life. We do that through worship. What we worship, what do we give our times? Remember, a people in our culture burdened by the weight of our American greedy culture. We do that with what we worship, with what we give our, our offering to, if you will. We do that in faith. Like, am I going to trust God or am I going to trust all of these other things? We do that with stewardship, with our money, our resource. Am I going to trust God first with kingdom things or am I going to build my little kingdom we do that in our integrity, in the moments. Do I fear God? As you see these two midwives, in the moments when their faith is tested, like what are you going to do? Are you going to choose the temptation of evil or are you going to stand up against it? We do that in persevering. Like I want to live out the kingdom to the end of my life, not just a season where my kids are in the church and my family and I'm going to go off and do my thing later. What does it practically look like? I'd suggest these three areas in our lives, umbrellas, if you will. Obeying God in his word in each moment. Are you in his word that you can obey that moment to moment? Are you giving freely? I just demonstrated that our church is generous. Are you doing that of yourself? And are you intentionally pointing others towards Christ? Is that what your life, life looks like? Could that be said of you as you fear God? People who fear God, listen to this, don't seek others' approval. They don't care what others think, and I know many of us struggle with that. They don't prioritize their lives and schedules around culture. I know many of us struggle with that. And they don't worry about their future. And I know many of us struggle with that. And you see this, these women here, in this moment, they fear God like that, a real practical, applicable like time where they're before Pharaoh, they know what could happen. And they say, you know what? In the face of evil, here's what we need to learn. The feared outcome should never dictate your obedience. 
Think about how practical that is for us. Some of us worry so much about what will happen if we do this that it hinders our obedience. And these women were right at that moment in a decision in their life, and they said, you know what? Here's the likely outcome of my decision, and yet it didn't hinder their faith and fear of God. And so the feared outcome that we make up in our head should never dictate our obedience. You have to fear God, not all of the other things that many of us fear. You fear God and obey God in spite of the pressure, in spite of the circumstance, in spite of the outcome. And what happens when we fear God? Verse 20 through 21. It says, So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew strong. It says that he blessed those women and gave them families because they feared God. When you fear God rightly, he blesses that. Now, he doesn't bless that in all the ways that we think all the time, physically, tangibly, but he blesses these two women for their faithfulness and fear of God. Do you see the link between verse 10 and 20? Verse 10, come let us deal shrewdly, that's Pharaoh, with them lest they multiply. He deals shrewdly with them because of he's fearing himself. And you see the contrast of verse 20. So God dwelt, dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew. Pharaoh didn't want them to grow. He feared that and so he pressed harder and the midwives were over here and they said, you know what? I want to fear God first and they were blessed and then they multiplied from their blessing. There's a huge contrast between those. When we fear God, we experience the same thing. And I want to just touch on this. I know I'm like kind of tight for time here, but the, one of the sub points that I wanted to, if you miss this in the text, this is a cultural issue. The cultural issue of women and women's rights and, and how women are viewed in our culture today, because you know what? A biblical position in the church on women is unpopular, countercultural, and many speak into that in a way, I want to be clear in this, when I said that, it's how most people think conservative evangelical churches that believe the Bible are speaking about women. Many people think that Christians believe women, women are less or less important or lesser than, which is why culturally there would be this thing politically called a women's empowerment movement. That's what, what happens. But what this text shows us about women is that women are extremely important to God's work. If you miss that, you're not reading Exodus 1 and 2 properly. That's why I said it was ironic that Pharaoh, in all his wisdom, decides he wants to get rid of the boys, the young men. And there's five women that bring about, all the way through, bring Moses about, if you will. These two midwives who were there, and they feared God. And then you see Moses' mother come along and say, you know what, in chapter 2, I'm not going to give up my son she puts him in the basket, puts him in the river. And who watches this all happen? Moses' sister watches. She's like the spy. And who picks up Moses, if we know the story? Pharaoh's daughter. Five women God used to bring about the exodus of his people. Isn't that amazing? If you miss that, and I just felt like, how could we miss that? Our culture is so confused to think that women are less or less important in God's work. Now, there's different functions and there's different ways that, that women and men are different, but they're not unimportant. How can you miss that? Verse 22 leads me to my last point. It says, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This was a reminder, as we said last week, God's plans can sim simply not be thwarted by man. 
Think about that. Pharaoh had this whole thing sealed up, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get rid of these people. I'm going to, like, keep them from multiplying. I will put all this pressure, and you and I face all this pressure and affliction and burden, and what God is doing simply cannot be thwarted by any of us, by any one person. If you can't take this point and apply it to our country's state or economics or politics right now, God's will is going to be done in the world. No one's going to stop that. No, no dictator, it might feel like it, no president, no world leader is going to thwart the plans of God. And this is fully displayed at the cross. Jesus was God's plan, and this is where we should always land, of redemption from the very beginning. So when he was arrested and died, and he was mocked and beaten and all his friends scattered, all of them who trusted them took a huge hit. They didn't know, like, what? How, this was not God's plan. But they soon learned that his death was necessary in order to have life. That's where we find real life, real hope. That's where we must land and say, you know what? Regardless of the weightiness of the world, regardless of the sickness and the death and my addiction and my slavery to this economy and my slavery to my family and my slavery to all this stuff, all this pressure that, that you and I in our ways feel and experience, where we need to land is, you know what? Man, this is a bad situation, but God's will has been done through Jesus Christ. He has offered us life and forgiveness and freedom, even in the midst of darkness and pressure, and our hope and salvation, if we have it in Christ, cannot be touched. Will life always end up the way we want? Does it mean physical, tangible blessing? Does it mean, I think of Stephen in the New Testament, when he was stoned for his faithfulness in God. He went to heaven a martyr. Does it always end? But I, Stephen had a face of radiance and joy because of the pressures of this life cannot touch what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's an eternal inheritance. It says later in 2 Corinthians that the weight of this world doesn't even compare to what's coming in God's glory. So God may use very difficult situations to grow you and grow the people of God because he can grow you under pressure. So fear him and know his plan to do that work in you and bring glory to himself. Feared outcomes should never dictate your obedience. So what will your response be as I close? What it should be every time we leave our gathering together, repentance and faith. To repent of ways you haven't feared God and trust him in new ways. I'll let the Spirit lead you in how that's applied to your life. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we praise you for, for walking us through this story of your people in the hard and bitter days as they were slaves and slaves to an evil, evil king. And Father, help us in the ways that we become slaves to sin in this world. Help our hearts to detach themselves from these worldly things and fear you in greater ways. Help us to be more obedient to your word. Help us to loosen our grip in this world and trust you in a greater way. Father, I confess I've, I've not feared you in all the ways I should. I've feared what other people think. I've worried at times about what comes down the pipe in the future. Father, I, I worry about all kinds of super minimal things. And Father, what I need to do is trust you at the foot of the cross over and over and over again. 
because you've given me everything in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would know that as a people of God, that you have sent Jesus Christ to redeem, that you are a redemptive God, and that in him is where we find true life and freedom. Father, help us to be radical believers that live in a culture that is growing more evil by the second, and we stand against that and trust you more. Even as I think of TLI and ministries and missionaries that go out into what we would say scary parts of the world, that you can get killed for your faith, help us to be faithful and stand in that. Father, empower us as a people of God by your spirit. And if there is one that doesn't know you today, that they would trust you for the first time and know that there is always hope and his name is Jesus. We pray that you'd be glorified and that we'd worship you now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,